What's up, guys? Before we get going today, I want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? I'm glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. They're the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval that has been tested and refined through years of wisdom and experience that has helped propel Skybox to the top of their industry. You need to go check these guys out. The, I hope you took advantage of their NFL draft guide as I am recording this late on a Thursday night, at least the intro late on a Thursday night. Uh, check them out for day two picks. They've got all kinds of props. They're up 13 units last week on NASCAR, big 30-unit week at the Masters last week. You need to go check these guys out if you're in the wagering game they're the best in the business, and with the promo code RIPPY, you can get 20% off any purchase on the site. They've got sports-centric packages. Uh, you can go for a week. You can go for a month. I'd recommend just doing the full-year all-sports pass, but they have sports-specific passes ranging from a day, a week, to a month. You need to go check these guys out. They'll have something in your price range. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Absolutely the best in the business. Would not steer you the wrong way there. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Scroll back in the feed and check out the grill corner with Greg earlier in the week. Still going to Kroger after that. You should probably just turn around and hit yourself in the groin. Don't really know what to tell you. But check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. If you subscribe to the Rip Your Rights podcast right now, you can get a 16-ounce prime strip for 10 bucks and $2 off of any fish that's in the freezer. Don't really know how you beat that. All you do is go to rippyrights.substack.com. Type in your email and that sign up email that you get as soon as you hit enter, you get a free uh, daily newsletter from myself and free meets from Greg. I would argue the latter is probably the better end of the deal, but you're going to get both either way. Check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. One note before we get going today, we're not doing a mailbag Friday for a number of scheduling reasons. Colin and I just got straight into a South Carolina series preview, predominantly hit a little bit of Randy Clements is firing at the end. We had a busy schedule. I'm at a wedding in Ruston, Louisiana. Uh, so we were not able to kind of make our schedules work out to do the typical mailback Friday. We'll make up for that on Sunday. So when we get started with the podcast today and you hear Colin and I get right into the South Carolina preview instead of our usual banter, bullshitting stuff before we get into the podcast, that's because we originally on Wednesday night recorded the South Carolina series preview thinking we might get to a mailbag Friday uh, before, uh, excuse me, on the next night, on Thursday night. And so that didn't work out. I'm standing in a hotel room in uh, Ruston at about 11 p.m. Colin has work the next day, so we just decided to scrap it and we'll go on Sunday. So uh, if you're in Ruston this weekend, one, congrats on getting internet. Welcome to the 21st century. Two, all right. So for now, South Carolina series preview between Colin and I, we got right into it. It's a good hour and a half of baseball talk. Like I mentioned, we got some football at the end. But I just didn't want you to guys be thrown off guard by us just diving straight into it when you hear this podcast roll. And we will do the mailbag Friday on Sunday to make up for it. So a couple more days to send in your questions. If you send a submission via email, texted me, whatever, uh, it will still be saved. We are just going to do that on Sunday for our usual Sunday night megapod instead of Friday. So happy mailbag Friday in spirit. We'll be back at it on Sunday. A lot of baseball to dive into, some football at the end. Let's go. Rippy writes with Brian Scott. Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. All right, now let's get into the South Carolina preview. And the Rebels, I, I think I wrote in the newsletter this week the Rebels were going to Columbia, even though I knew full and well this series was in Oxford. I think for whatever reason, you ever have those brain farts 
to where like you know something is not true, but you can't get your brain to stop thinking anyway. I've thought all week this series is in Columbia, knowing full well every time I look in the schedule it says Oxford. Yeah, I just kind of live in that purgatory uh, for perpetuity. Like that's just I always write the incorrect thing because I'm stupid. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I think I've gotten to the point where I think that kind of what you were getting at is like my brain. I don't even try to fight my brain anymore. I'll just let it think wrong things <laughs> and not even care. Not even care. Somebody's gonna have to catch me on it before I say anything. So you know, we talked about a little bit of a break in the schedule, and maybe that's the case to to some degree. But South Carolina, and I don't know what poll, obviously Ole Miss's media relations, I say obviously, if you don't know this, college media relations staffs, whatever the opponent's highest ranking is, particularly in a sport like baseball where there's 19 billion polls, I know there are only like two that matter, they're going to use the highest one. South Carolina on Ole Miss's website is ranked number seven. Is that, is that yeah. D1? No, it is not D1. Um, That's got to be that guy that does that newspaper and – ranks it all crazy for clicks yeah doesn't that guy hate Ole Miss too like genuinely dislikes Ole Miss and will admit to it isn't that like the college baseball newspaper guy yeah so that's the thing I was referring to I've heard so many different things about that guy he's pretty much almost become just like an urban legend I don't really know what he does but I I know that people get very mad at him um by comparison's sake South Carolina is number – where are they in D uh, – 13 in D1's ranking. So, obviously, Ole Miss went with the highest one. Well, I go off D1 because I think Kendall and them watch the most baseball. But we say a break in the schedule. Uh, South Carolina's pretty good. And the way Ole Miss is playing baseball right now, uh, they one, stating the very obvious here – I've used that word like five times in the first part of this segment – but – like, this is not necessarily a break. Like, I, I think oh, no. this was originally thought to be a break, and now it's not because of how South Carolina's played. Sure. Um, I will ask you this, though. All right, let's just pretend, just kind of from an Ole Miss dynamic, um, that you're going to play a good team, and they're really good in one area, either pitching or offense. What would you, if you're an Ole Miss fan, what would you prefer that team that you're going to play that's pretty good be really good at? I think pitching. You would. And they are really good on the mound. They can't hit. Um, they're hitting like 230 in SEC play with like a sweat 720 OPS. They have, they've had like a 601 OPS the past two weekends. They cannot hit. Um, and I know people will say, well, Ole Miss's bullpen sucks. They do. Um, but you've got two of the better pitchers in the country going for you on Friday and Saturday. And, and I'll get this out of the way now. I fully expect Gunnar Hoagland uh, to be on the mound either Friday or Saturday. I'm not sure which, but I, I fully expect him to start one of those two games. Um, so yes, South Carolina is a very good team. They, I think, present a good matchup for Ole Miss because I think Ole Miss, for the most part, outside of guys like A.J. Labus who can sink the baseball, and South Carolina doesn't really have any of that, um, I think Ole Miss can handle right-handed starters pretty well. So I think there's a real opportunity Ole Miss can win this series just because I'll never be overly worried about three right-handed starters that can't sink the baseball um, against Ole Miss. And the fact that South Carolina really, really struggles to hit the baseball, uh, they, they really struggle on Friday and Saturday. I mean, you're talking about a sub-600 OPS uh, Friday and Saturday combined. And then they, I think they have an OPS of like 965 on, on Sundays in SEC play. So they really, really do damage on Sundays. Um, but, yeah, I think this is a good matchup for Ole Miss, but you're right. It's not a break in the schedule. If you don't show up and if you play like you did against LSU, uh, you'll be lucky to not get your ass swept. 
Yeah, absolutely. And South Carolina is coming off a series loss to Arkansas, and you mentioned them struggling, particularly struggling against elite-level arms. Uh, South Carolina largely lost that series because they could not hit Arkansas closer Kevin Copps, which Ole Miss actually hit him pretty well. Uh, but I think that probably plays into your point. Now, not very many teams have hit Copps this year, so that's not a very great example. But you're, you're correct in that sense that South Carolina de- definitely struggles, which means Ole Miss is going to need to get linked out of his starters which they've gotten for the most part, it's really the idea of taking advantage of it. Uh, here's a hot take. They would do well not to kick the ball around and allow two earned runs in the first two innings of each game. That would help the cause. Uh, that would help the cause, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I've said this, and people have pushed back a little bit with me this week, and that I said if Gunnar Hoagland starts on Thursday, they don't make the errors because they usually strike out when Gunner pitches. Um, I think that, you know, Gunner being back on Friday or Saturday, and again, everybody that you talk to and everything that you read, uh, he, they, they think he's going to be on the mound one of those two days. Um, I think South Carolina's bound to strike out a lot on Friday and Saturday. So it's hard to make errors when Hayden Dunhurst just catches it and throws it down to third. Um, but Sunday's the day that – Look, uh, we can get into this in a little bit. South Carolina pitches a little bit backwards. Frankly, their number three guy goes on Friday night. Their number two guy goes on Saturday. And, they're, frankly, their best pitcher throws on Sunday. Um, so, it's going to be imperative for Gunnar Hoagland and Doug McKenzie to pitch well. And I think they will. But it's also going to be imperative when they do put the ball in play. And, again, South Carolina strikes out a lot. But when they do put the ball in play, Ole Miss simply cannot throw it in the dugout like they did at times last weekend. Yeah, no kidding, because that's kind of been the story, particularly with Hoagland on the uh, on the mound for Ole Miss, is that he's given them length and he's been good in starts, but whether it's run support, whether it's errors, they have not taken advantage of it at all. And really, there's no more crucial time for them to do that than this weekend. If Gunnar Hoagland gives you six innings of one-run ball, you better win the damn game. Yeah, and they will. Um, I, I think Thomas Farr, who's going to take the mound, is going to take the mound, reminds me a lot of uh, – and people won't know this name off the top of their head, but he reminds me a lot of Mason Barnett that pitched uh, – he's now Auburn's closer, but he pitched the Saturday game uh, against Ole Miss. Really good stuff, 94 to 96. Uh, pretty good slider, but he doesn't locate well. He throws the ball over the middle of the plate, and then he tries to get cute and walk and walks people. Um, I, I think Friday's a really good matchup from Ole Miss for an offensive standpoint. Frankly, I think it's the best matchup of the weekend because I, I'll never really be concerned, unless it's just absurd velocity-wise, uh, for an, a, a right-handed pitcher with Ole Miss, they've shown over over the years they can handle velocity. That's not what's been their kryptonite. Um, so I think Friday's – frankly, Ole Miss should win Friday. It really shouldn't be something you worry about on Friday night. It, maybe you, you, you've seen this team is now 6-10 and 10 in the last 16 SEC games on Friday nights, which is frankly terrible. Um, but that if there's is ever terrible, a, particularly yeah. given the success they've had as a program over that season. Right. I mean, it, it – if this is not the weekend that you get off the snot on Friday night, I don't know when it's going to be. Yeah, so a little – you talk about Thomas Farr and you talk about them pitching backwards a little bit. The, from what I gather, the general scout on this Farr kid and from the little I've seen of him this year, high velo kid with the velocity with a pretty good changeup and his breaking ball, you just never really know what it is. So, yeah. Know, not your typical three-pitch guy, but the two that he has are pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, look, he, he's a guy that, frankly – turned down probably a fourth-round draft pick last year and then will probably be a top five to ten-round pick uh, this year. But, you know, when, when those guys – that doesn't always indicate that you have a ton of success. You know, if you remember back 2018, Ron Rollison was a first-round pick and had a 4-7 ERA in SEC play. 
um, you know, potential in, in these type of guys doesn't always equate to success in the SEC. I, uh, I would agree with that notion as well. As you mentioned, it's two right-handers, and then who are they? I haven't seen who are they going with. In sun, on it'll, it'll be Johnson. It'll be – I mean, assuming they haven't changed it up from uh, literally uh, the past five weekends, it will be uh, Far on Friday, Johnson on Saturday, and Sanders on Sunday. Yeah, so after the, the after far the velocity kind of dropped off, but you could probably make an argument the other two guys probably have a little bit more of a complete pitch arsenal sure. in, in in terms of you know I mean Jordan has a pretty good slider and a changeup is and a curveball and a changeup as well to where it seems like far is more a fastball changeup and then if he throws you the curveball I mean I guess it could be pretty good and on the nights that he's really good it's good and if not it's just kind of eh. yeah. Uh, Jordan's going to be a guy that has zero issues pitching behind and counts. Um, and when I say that, I mean, he, he'll throw you a two, one slider. He'll pitch backwards. Uh, fastball is not going to overwhelm you. It's 88 to 90, but he really spots it up pretty well. Now he, he's a good pitcher. He's not a guy that I think you'll see in a rotation in the major leagues or anything, but he kind of reminds me, uh, not Sam Smith. He's better than Sam Smith, but, but kind of in that mold, like he's not going to overwhelm you from a velocity standpoint. The slider's pretty good. It's not going to, because of the velocity not being, you know, elite, elite velocity, it's not going to put you into knots. Um, but he is, he's going to pitch, man. Like, he, he's going to spot his fastball. He's going to throw uh, breaking balls for strikes and, and, you know, disadvantage counts. He's a good pitcher. Um, and, and Ole Miss will have to take advantage of him and advantage counts. They'll have to lay off curveballs that aren't strikes when they get into 1-1 and 0-1 counts. Um, they can hit this kid, but, but frankly, he, from a pitching standpoint, not necessarily a stuff standpoint. From a pitchability standpoint, is, is the best guy they have on the mound. And kind of transitioning back towards the other way, or I guess kind of picking backing off of taking a glance at South Carolina's rotation, a thing that we talked about on this podcast a pretty decent bit throughout this year is how Ole Miss is probably going to have a pretty good advantage against most teams on Sunday. We originally thought that would be Derek Diamond, but it's turned out to be Drew McDaniel. I'm putting you on the spot here because I actually don't know the answer to my own question. What is Ole Miss's record on Sundays? Uh, are you talking about an SEC play? Yeah, SEC play. Sorry. I um, so they lost the three in a row, right, to State, Arkansas. So they're three and three because um, they swept the first two weekends and then beat LSU. So three and three. That's not horrible, but you figured it would be better. And to be completely yeah. honest, and I know, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, if, ands, or buts, but that win against LSU had nothing to do with their starting pitcher. No, and really the the winning – well, okay. Yeah, you're right. I was trying to – I was going to say the win against Auburn didn't either, but it kind of did. Derek went six scoreless. But, yeah, I mean, look, it, you, you thought you had an advantage when you saw Derek Diamond pitch against Texas and he's sitting 95 to 97 and the Longhorns couldn't get – you know, couldn't time the fastball. Uh, but the reality has just been that, that Derek Diamond wasn't good enough. And uh, Drew McDaniel, frankly, was good enough in Starkville. Uh, what he did in Starkville should result in a win for this offense every single time. Um, and then wasn't very good last week. Uh, you know, Mike said after the game, and I don't know if it's trying to help the kid with confidence or whatever, said he, he thought he pitched pretty well as she was locked in. I, I went back and watched, and look, Mike's forgotten more baseball than I'll ever know, but he, he did not look like he pitched well against LSU. Um, I do ex still expect him on Sunday, and I think it would be kind of foolish to take him off Sunday. Um, but, no, look, Ole Miss has not been good from a starting pitching perspective on Sunday uh, in SEC games outside of – twice really uh diamond against um 
Auburn and, and drew against Mississippi State. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, we talked about the diamond thing. I don't know if happy accident is the right phrase, but uh, to pretty good fortune in that Auburn uh, outing as well, if you kind of remember how that went. And then he was yeah. against Alabama the next week, and that's really the one where he was actually probably the recipient of some pretty good fortune. Yeah, that one's the one where you look up, you give up three and six, and everybody's like, yeah, I'll take that on Sundays. But also he gave up like nine base runners and was a little bit lucky. And really the, the three should have been about five. So as we before we dive deeper into this, as we evaluate this old Miss team, they're ten and eight, which is sure. tricky to think about from the sense that you know they've lost four straight SEC series. It seems like the sky is falling. Um, as I kind of, I'm not going to drop a dollar in the 2019 swear jar yet, or whatever we've dubbed that. But they were off in a really, really bad funk that you haven't seen in a couple years. And I know that sounds stupid because the 2020 team kind of. You know, was flying as close to the sun as you possibly could before the shutdown. But even outside of that, like you haven't seen many Ole Miss teams get in that bad of a funk really since kind of the late 2000s. Yes, they've had bad stretches. Yes, they've had bad teams. But I'm talking about that 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 kind of hard to quantify. I mean, did you not sit there at, on Friday when Ole Miss was playing game two against LSU and you couldn't put your finger on it? But you, were you not sitting there saying something's off with this team right now? That's what I'm kind of yeah, guessing. yeah. It, and you're right, it, but. I don't know. To me, it's always kind of hard, right? Because that look, they did not play well uh, on Friday. But I also kind of just watched Labus pitch and was like, "Oh God, this kid is, is a bad matchup." But you're right. It went, over the course of four weekends, when you're just consistently not winning games, yeah, it's not, something's not right. And and what your hope is, and what your prayer is, is that Saturday gave them a little bit of confidence. I've, I've said this all week to my friends, and I think I said it on here on Sunday. If you ask this baseball team what they've done lately they would tell you they erased an eight-run deficit to LSU and won the game. It wouldn't be that they've lost four series in a row. Um, that's just kind of the world that baseball players are going to operate in. So what the, what you hope that brings is some confidence that they're going to beat a South Carolina team at least twice that, frankly, they're better than. But if you want me to be completely honest, they've been better than three of the teams they've – well, at least two of the teams they've played the past four weekends and just hadn't gotten it done. Yeah, so you were kind of leading me where I was kind of going towards the end of that thought was – if you look at Ole Miss at the halfway point for any of these teams, go back as far as you want. I'll go back all the way to 2014. I mean, the Omaha team, you look at where they were at the halfway point. Is there a single team that absolutely torched the field for the first 15 games of SEC play? No, I actually went and looked at this. Um, the, for most the of the time, Mike's teams have been – not most of the time. A lot of Mike's good teams have been 500 or worse at this point. Well, um, I actually went and looked. So, 05 was uh, 10 and 8, 06, 10 and 8, 09, 10 and 8, 14, 10 and 8, 16, 10 and 8, 18, 10 and 8, 19, 10 and 8. They are consistently after 18 games. And guess what they are this year? 10 and 8. Uh, they are consistently 10 and 8 after 18 games and, and then finished the year well enough to host. So um, they've made a habit of this. Frankly, they were 11 and 7 in 2002, and that team missed the tournament. <laughs> Exactly. And so kind of point being off of that is like, you know, you, it, it, it seemed like the sky is falling because you know, from a fan base perspective, they have not seen their team win a series in a, in a month and they haven't yeah. played a good brand of baseball and haven't played consistent baseball. And it kind of just seems like one thing after another with the one constant being that the bullpen is not very good. But at the same time, if you were going to 
press a reset, reinvent yourself, whatever cliche term you want to be. This is the time to do it because you're still in a decent spot. Now, granted, there are three back of the West to Arkansas, but I don't even think that's really much of a conversation anymore. Exactly. But if you can try to find a way over these last 12 SEC games to cobble some things together, and we'll get to the bit of news that came out today with regard to the host side in a minute, there's still everything left in front of this team. They're just going to have to play a better brand of baseball, and that starts defensively, and that starts getting out to the bullpen. But that being said, there's not necessarily, quote-unquote, ground to make up. They just need to play better, and they need to play up to their potential. Because if you look at the next you know, two series, if they do what they need to do and they go four and two, you're probably okay. You would have liked to have been 15 and nine. Sure. But if I'll you add one, a five I'll and add one, a which is not, not completely out of the ordinary. Like, I guess my point being is they're not crawling out of a hole. They just need to play well. Right. Um, I, I will add a caveat. And, and you're right, four and two probably gets it done, but at least two need to be this weekend. Um, they, they, they do not need to lose a fifth series in a row. Even if you go sweep A&M at that point, it's still – it's like, what you didn't beat anybody in a series except for Alabama. Um, yeah, but you're right. That, that's a really good point in that this team has – look, yes, losing four SEC series in a row has put you in a spot that you probably don't want to be in. Absolutely could not agree more. But in saying that, you haven't dug a hole. You've just removed every bit of, uh, you know, margin for error that you have. You go play well the next two weekends. And, and you know, a lot of people freaked out um, when D1 Baseball released their rankings, not rankings, their their projections and had Ole Miss two seed. And it, everybody freaked out. It was like, ah, oh, we screwed up a host site. Well, if you read in there and you listen to their podcast, what they've said was if Ole Miss wins their next two series, they'll host. And, frankly, you know, this sounds a little mean, but if Ole Miss doesn't win their next two series, they don't deserve to host. And I they mean, don't it, deserve to be a host at this point right now, total body of work. They deserve to be. Uh, I, I disagree there. Um, I mean, I, I just ten and eight, and then and, and nine and seven against the top twenty-five. This is still pretty pretty good, you know. Okay. I, and I know the last four weekends haven't gone well, but the first two weekends SEC play count, and the first weekend in Arlington counts too. Yeah, but you got to also think about the way that things are selected. Like, and Mike Mike sits on this stump every single year in Hoover where he's like, it should be the 16 best teams. It shouldn't matter how many teams the SEC has hosting or the ACC has hosting or the Big 12 te- has hosting. It should be the 16 best teams. So, be that as it may, that's not how it's selected. I mean, you know, it generally is, but there is a bit of a, oh, man, there's this many SEC national seeds. Like, that plays into it. It's I, I do think it, it's – I think it's relevant. I'll say this. I think it's more relevant national seed-wise. And, and I'll say this. Uh, when you talk about a national seed perspective right now, you've got Mississippi State, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Vandy, that if the season ended today would be national seeds. I don't think that Ole Miss or South Carolina, the really only other two teams that I think in the SEC that could get into that conversation, I think Ole Miss or South Carolina will have to take one of those teams' uh, seeds. Like, you know, like I don't think they're going to give five national seeds out to the SEC. I, I don't – I think that from a host perspective, they'll give the best 16 teams the host sites. Uh, at least I hope they will. They, they usually do. But I, I will agree that the eight national seeds could – not always the eight best teams. There is some uh, – and, and I'll be honest, there's, you know, this may not apply to Ole Miss because, frankly, they have to play better for this to even be uh, a topic in two or three weeks. But Notre Dame's going to be a national seed and have two top 25 wins because they're going to win the ACC. Um, 
so yeah, national seed wise, absolutely. They 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 don't give it to the eight best teams. I, I tend to think that the sixteen best teams do get to host for for the most part. I mean that you look back at nineteen and, and Ole Miss, frankly, that them being twelve seed was insane to me. But for the most part, they get that right. Um and, and I hope they do this year. We'll, we'll see. But this year is the year that if they wanted to be screwy, I guess they could. Yeah, that's fair. And I guess shouldn't be is, is a little bit relative. I guess what I was getting at, at 10 and 8 with the current brand of baseball this team's playing, because if the season ended today, the way you start I – mean, the way you finish the year matters. I mean, just look at that 19 team and how much they jumped sure. up. I guess what I was getting at is it's not unfair to say that they wouldn't be a host right now. I don't think that was D1 going out of No, that. no, that's not unfair. I guess what I'll ask is this. Um, a lot gets put – and I think this is crap, by the way, because it, it benefits teams like LSU, which credit to them, they, they, they play well at the end of the year, and that's part of the selection series – or uh, selection deal. But, like, are they really, after 24 games in SEC play, going to say, all right, what are these teams in their last 10 to 15 games? Like, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And they do that at the end of the year. They absolutely say, all right, well, this team finished 9 and you know, nine and 1 or 12 and 3 or 2 and 8 uh, in their last 10 games. Are they really going to do that when there's six freaking SEC games left? Because if they do, that's clinically insane. I think they will because I think it happens every year, and it's almost like a human nature element of it or whatever. God, that's stupid to me. Because what you do in March should count. Oh, 100%. We're, uh, we're 100% in agreement there. But, it, I mean, it's just – but that's also not unique to, to baseball. You see it in football. You see it in basketball. Like, the team that finishes the year strongest, the benefit of the doubt in turn, when it's left up to humans in a room, which I think is a dumb way to decide who gets in postseason. But that's a conversation for another day. But it absolutely matters. So, without diving too further into it, because we'll get to that in a minute based off a, a scoop that Kendall Rogers had tonight and kind of bringing it back to this series for a minute. Let's uh, let's focus on Ole Miss for a bit, and then I'll throw some South Carolina statistics at you. Uh, here's a question. How does Kemp Alderman factor into this series for Ole Miss? Hmm. I think he gets a start, at least one. I think he gets a start. I tend to think that starts probably at DH. Uh but, but I do think he gets a start after what happened last weekend. I, I think they let him have one. I think – I'll say this. Uh, I don't expect major shakeups defensively. I, I think you're going to have pretty much the same defense, assuming Hay Leatherwood's good to go, and every indication is that he, he will be. I think Ben Van Cleve is the DH for two games, and I think Alderman might be the DH for another. So over under 1.5 starts for Kemp Alderman. Under, under. I don't say that with a ton of confidence, but but I, if I had to bet it, I would go under. I think uh, I think I would agree with that as well. The interesting part of that to me is so you mentioned Hayden Leatherwood, and you know if he's good to go, I think he'll play as well. Is there any way he gets put at DH? Um, that but I mean that lineup against LSU is that not the best current version of them? If you Yes. If you don't factor in, uh, it, you don't factor in uh, Alderman, excuse me, and for those out there just to set the stage before you answer, Leatherwood DH game two against LSU with Plumlee and Wright and McCants center. Flip that because it just doesn't make any sense. But be that as it may, that seems to be the best version of this team. Well, yes, it is the best version of this team um, from a defensive standpoint and, and what you are provided offensively. Um but it's been the best version of this team for four weeks now, and we haven't seen it with, with any regularity. So I'm going to assume it doesn't happen until it does. 
Yeah, actually, I'm looking. I had to go back and pull up Mike's tweet to make sure I had the lineup correct from that day, which I did, which is probably an upset in its own right. But the first reply under Mike's tweet is a guy named Cody Barfield, who I actually think listens to this podcast and says, take a picture of this lineup and never astray. Don't overthink it. <laughs> I would say that uh, if he actually wanted to get the lineup right, he would have put Plumley in center and McCanson right, but whatever. That's what I was getting at uh, a second ago, which it makes no sense, but I digress. Okay, over-under starts at, at DH for Hayden Leatherwood, one and a half. Under. I think, he, I, I, think, I think he's in right field all weekend, and uh, uh, Plumley. I, I, I don't think Plumley starts a game this weekend. What I'll if that, that right leg for Leatherwood is just a little sore? Okay, well, if it if, – if, Does I'll that take this. Mike from himself? A little bit. Um, but if Hayden Leatherwood is good to play right field, I do not anticipate John Rice Plumley starting a game this weekend. I don't really either, and I don't even necessarily know how I feel about that because, like, for as bad as it's not sometimes at the plate, the man watches a lot of great pitches go by without – All right. Without well, I mean, look, I, there there was a time where I thought, oh, John Rice is, is coming on as a hitter. He was overmatched at times against LSU last weekend. Um, and, and South Carolina's got some dudes that, that are really good. Um, look, his, his stat line's fine, and I'm a big believer in stats and analytics and all that stuff, but just when I watch him hit against Devin Fontenot and I watch him hit against a, A.J. Labus, just doesn't look right. Um, doesn't look like it's a guy that can give you too much from an offensive standpoint. So, um, you know, it, it, is that worth, you know, the defense that he can provide? I think I'd probably argue it is. But I, I, I do think that if, if you're just kind of quoting his SEC OPS and SEC batting average, you, you probably need to – may need to look a little bit deeper because, man, the, it, at times against lead arms, it's just not good right now. Before I, – I agree with that. Before, but the, the trade-off there is whatever – I don't mean to mean this rudely or harshly, but the trade-off there is whatever quote-unquote crap results you're getting from Harris and Van Cleve, correct? Sure. Um, and especially Van Cleve against right-handed pitching, which is three right-handed starters this weekend. Um, so, yeah, uh, I would argue that Plumlee provides you more upside. I, I But I will say this, I do not – think he provides you more upside playing right field if that makes sense uh yes I do agree with that part of it and that kind of that that that's an interesting way to think about it another idea just popped in my head or, or thought I'll pose to you with Ole Miss's struggles at DH and finding an answer and you know Van Cleef kind of being eliminated against right-handed pitching as you mentioned and Mike's hesitancy to put Hayden Leatherwood at the DH spot this seems like a series that a game could be decided based on how Mike manages decisions, not only with pitching, but with lineup yeah. protection. And, uh, you know, there's been years where Mike's been a good manager. He was a great manager in 15. He had a really button on that team. He was a great manager in 16. He had a great, great feel for that team. This one is towards the bottom. He does not have a very good feel for this group. No, uh, he doesn't. And, you know, obviously you hope that improves over time, but you're right though. This team, they're, there's been some mistakes made that has frankly cost him games. Um, so, you know, just – you know what has always bothered me? Um, you know, I, we give Mike crap for, for Mississippi State losing that series. The, and we've talked about it. We discussed it. But him not putting in Broadway in game one against Arkansas is one that doesn't get talked enough about. Yes, that is very true. He went with Kimbrell 
And uh, guess what? Yeah. That did not go very well. No. And then, you know, you win the second game 13-6. to six, And, yeah, Arkansas probably scores more runs if you don't have Broadway. But, yeah, there's been some not great decisions uh, made this year. And, and, you know, probably cost them ball games. And you hope just – I will say that it was nice to see, even though it didn't work out, that he went to Broadway earlier uh, against LSU. So maybe maybe that continues, and I think you know the next time that happens, it will work out. So, but you're right, not not been a great managerial year so far, and and you're, if you're an Ole Miss fan, hopefully that uh that improves over time. I've got a good story about his managerial style in this 2016 team that I just remembered. Go ahead. <laughs> this is when I started to catch on that there might be something off about this cat. So, the 16 team, which was not a very I say not a very talented. Team. That yeah. team on paper was not a lock regional host by any stretch of the imagination. No, 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 no. They swept a ton. They maximized their potential. And really for the, a lot of the year, if you look at the corner outfield spots, you kind of look what Mike did with the back end of the rotation and some bullpen stuff. Um, he moved around. There was a lot of moving pieces for a lot of that year, and the team didn't suffer at all. They finished 18 and 12, and the sweeping had a lot to do with it. I don't remember who won SEC Coach of the Year that year, but it should have been Mike Bianco. I, it was it was John Cohen because he won the SEC that year. Oh, and they that was worst to first, wasn't it? Yeah. So they'd finished terribly the year before. Makes sense. Whatever. I thought Mike did the best coaching job of anyone in the SEC and probably college baseball that year. So they have their little regional watch party where they know they're going to be a host. They kind of get jobbed out of a national seed. No one really seems to care. They're pumped that they're hosting. And they're having the press conference after – and I know if I ask Mike Bianco if it's one of his best coaching jobs that he's not going to give me an answer. He's going to shut down and deflect and probably tell me I'm stupid for asking the question. So I ask him this question about 15 questions into this press conference. And I say, can you remember a year where you've won this many SEC games with this many moving parts the entire time where you've had to kind of tinker from start to finish? Not in necessarily a bad way, but you've tinkered uh, kind of your team towards success, particularly in the back half of the season. Pretty veteran way to ask the question. And he pauses for a second, and he looks at me, and he goes, you mean it was a great coaching job? And I was like <laughs> – I do remember this. For the lack of a better phrase, yes. And then he goes, why didn't you just say it? And I'm sitting there going, this asshole is mad at me for not complimenting him as straightforward enough. <laughs> <laughs> Did he answer the question, though, afterwards? Yeah, so that was – that was a he was not mad. He was just kind of giving me shit while uh, the cameras were rolling, for the lack of a better phrase. But I was like, this guy's taking exception with my question when I ask it the way he wants it to be asked. Like, yeah, that was I couldn't figure this guy out. <laughs> so, anyway, reeling it back in. Uh, one last note I had on Alderman before I throw another – one more over-under at you. Uh, Skybox, friend of the program, uh, the folks at Skybox, a buddy of mine that uh, runs Skybox sent me a text and said, just catching up on Sunday's podcast and wanted to comment on the Maneri clapping for Alderman situation. We were all setting up chairs in the outfield as he came up to hit BP. And I legitimately, the entire crowd gathered out there, stopped, and was staring with the collective look of holy shit because the dude hit five straight balls either off the scoreboard or to the oak tree to the left of the scoreboard. It's a, it's insane. It's a, you are, I ought to go. I need to go watch him hit BP one day this week. I'm contemplating coming back for the Vanderbilt series. I've still got some things in the works for that. But uh, if I do, I promise you I'll be at the ballpark one day to watch that. 
Um, and then I will probably uh, either feel like Chase Cockrell is vindicated or that he's forever pushed into irrelevancy. I I was told that like he he's hitting balls, yeah, and then that guy confirmed it. He, yeah, he's hitting balls off the scoreboard MVP. <laughs> you know, that's a long way. That is a uh, that is a very long way. One of the longest home runs I've seen at Sw- uh, I've seen at Swayze. Uh, unfortunately, was given up by Jason Barber, who my roommate, my last year living in Oxford, uh, is Jason's brother. And I met Jason and actually got to know him decently afterward. So, <laughs> I mean, no ill will here. Jason came up as a freshman in a midweek game against Memphis, and some cat against Memphis hit a ball into the band practice field, I'm pretty sure. The farthest one I've ever seen was Graham's on, on uh, Saturday, or I guess Friday. He hit that uh, ball 445 feet or something. He did absolutely smoke that. But anyway, I, I got to reel this back in a little bit because I've, I've gotten us on a tangent. Um, outside of that, I had one more over-under throw at you. Oh, over-under, Kel Baker starts at first base. Over. I think he starts all three. I think so, too, but that doesn't mean it's the correct way to do things. No, it's not. I think he starts all three. I think so, too. How bad would it have to get? Would he have to have, like, a multi-error game for them to consider something else? To, in, in, on the other side of this, in his defense, there's not a ton of great options there. Well, uh, Graham's a fine option if you play Plumlee in the outfield. But what's, um, Yeah, okay. So, but is Plumlee in the outfield? We just talked about how that necessarily wasn't great. So, great option, maybe not directly, but great option to where the ripple effects aren't bad either. Yeah, I – I mean, you, you, you say what has to happen. I mean, last weekend went as badly as it could. So, if he starts all three at first base this weekend, I mean, I, he has to commit a felony? I don't know. Like, I, at just that point, I just would expect him to play. I'm deciding whether to say something I shouldn't. Okay. Fuck no, me. go ahead. Go ahead. I don't even think I'm allowed to say the F word on here, but it's my podcast. Um, <laughs> Andy Pagnazzi once got a DUI and pitched the same weekend. Pitch the same day. Uh, yeah, depending. I mean, I'd have to look at the jail docket, but yes, I think so. He got arrested. It wasn't like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, and he got arrested like Thursday or Friday, at like twelve a.m. and pitched on Friday. Yeah, and look, I'm not gonna. I, I look. I don't know where Andy Pagnazzi. I'm sure. He, I hope he's doing fine in life. It was. Uh, look, I'm not condoning anything, but it was more of a got caught at the dorm after maybe having a beer or something type of thing and having no. From what I understood, it was having no – you know what, I'm going to get into something I shouldn't. I don't think it was as egregious as uh, maybe it seemed on the surface is basically what I should say. But anyway, uh, yeah, so Cale uh, Baker could probably commit a felony and still start on Sunday. Is that what we decided? <laughs> you know, the, his, his fielding against LSU last Saturday should have been considered a felony. Okay, you, that's, a, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. We, uh, we'll, point shaving. I'm kidding. We'll get uh, Lafayette County Sheriff's Office on that. that Did you know there are college baseball betting lines nowadays? Really? I thought five. Yeah, if you check check Bovada. Yeah, they have them. Interesting. Man, the day we get to college baseball props is when shit will really get crazy. I need some college baseball fielding percentage props. Um, (laughs) Vegas wins or loses money off that. Ole Miss over under 975 for the weekend. My savings account is on under. (laughs) So as we focus on, well, you know, you could cash the bet and then Mike make a call upstairs and you actually have it voided after the fact is the way that works. <laughs> um, I, so kind of reeling in the, the Ole Miss is pitching for a second. <laughs> I just got that. 
Yes. I've explained this on the podcast before. The home coach is allowed to call upstairs and change errors after the fact. He does it during the middle of games. Yes, I was about to say, dirty little secret. I've seen Mike yell at a media relations guy about a hypothetical error that never actually happened. They were having a discussion about what would have been scored had something else happened and ended up in a shouting match. Uh, I was a maniac. Anyway, um, so (laughs) good Lord, this is going off the rails. I don't want it. Yeah, to hell with it. That's a great way. That should probably be the motto of this podcast. Um, so with Ole Miss, I'll, I'll preface it this way. We'll talk about the rotation, how we think this sets up. But like you mentioned, South Carolina cannot hit. They're the second worst team in batting average in the Southeastern Conference. They're a bottom. Okay, they slug it a little better, which means their home run total. I haven't looked at it yet. It's probably they hit a bunch of homers. Yeah, as I was about to say, they're eighth in slugging. They're twelfth in on base percentage. They're twelfth in runs scored. They're 13th in hits, and they're 11th in batting. Look, they're a bottom three offense in this league, yep. no matter how you slice it up. But, like you said, they're a top four team in home runs. They hit 56 home runs. That's good for fourth in the conference, slightly over Tennessee, which is why that slugging percentage is eighth versus 11th, 12th, like the rest of their stats. They struggle to hit the baseball, but how many teams in a row have we said – I mean, name it LSU. You know, name – Arkansas, although Arkansas's offense has proven to be a lot better than maybe they showed at the beginning of Southeastern Conference play. But this is another one where Ole Miss should dominate them via starting pitching as long as they don't make egregious mistakes. But with the way Ole Miss is hit and the way they play defense, you know, a couple of mistakes from Hoagland on a pair of solo shots proves really consequential if you're almost factored sure. in an under run at this point. Sure. If, you know, Gunner goes out, gives up three homers like he did against Alabama, he can still pitch pretty well and then you know, Ole Miss lose a three or two games. So, um, got to hit. And I, I thought, look, uh, people were frustrated last Thursday night when Marceau pitches. Um, but they didn't score the last four innings, and I get it. They scored four on a really good Friday night arm. That that has to be enough. And the reason it wasn't enough was because you played bad defense and your really good closer made one bad pitch. Um, so, you know, I – I think this offense maybe showed that they can get after some Friday night arms. And frankly, I don't think far is a Friday night arm. So yeah, I think Ole Miss is going to be able to have some success against far. And if Gunner can keep the ball in the ballpark um, and it's kind of supposed to be a little cold on Friday night, which is good as far as the ball, not traveling. So if Gunner can keep it in the ballpark, I, I do think Ole Miss is going to win on Friday night. Then you set yourself up um, for the rest of the weekend where you just need to win one. I agree with that, and I think Ole Miss should go the Belichick route and cut the heaters in the third base dugout as well, but we'll see if they do that. <laughs> but to your point on top of that, I, I agree. People were – you know, we did the live show last weekend for the Thursday game, which seems like ages ago. Maybe it's just the worst work week that I've had. But the it has seemed like a while ago. People obviously were very frustrated about the offense because of the way that game ended, but you're exactly right, and that's what I wrote the next day in the newsletter – Regardless of what happened in the later innings and them leaving that many men on base, four runs against a legitimate Friday night arm in the SEC should be enough to win the baseball game. Now, a lot of times if you score four runs against a Friday night arm, most of the time you would do well and it's kind of maybe expected you add a run or two off the bullpen, which gets Ole Miss to six that would have won the game. But four runs in its own right should have won them the baseball game. The offense was good. The offense and the pitching for Ole Miss – without their own ace, was good enough to win the baseball game on last Thursday night, excuse me, game one, we're numbers podcast. 
and it, they didn't get it done. And I feel like that's happened too many times where two parts of kind of this three-legged uh, team, I guess, from in terms of offense, starting pitching the bullpen. How many times has two been good and the one cost them a win? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. And, and that's kind of what you hope that, you know, if you look at this and you believe kind of in regression and, you know, things kind of just working themselves out, uh, you kind of just hope that at some point they all come together and you're able to go on some run. And, and I do believe in that stuff. So I, I think this team has a run in them. Um, you just – the way the hosting sets up, it, it just kind of needs to start on Friday night. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they and to, the way Ole Miss is constructed, there's no guarantee on Sundays now. Like, you better win Gunner and Doug start and then kind of go for the bonus on Sunday. And I know I'm stating the obvious there – Every team wants to win the first two games, then go try to win the third. But particularly with the way this team's constructed, like Ole Miss is better than pretty much everyone not named Vanderbilt on the mound, and they have not taken advantage in the first two games. They made Doug become a stopper. I could argue – here's a hot take. I could argue Ole Miss is better on Friday and Saturday than Vanderbilt from a starting pitching perspective. I don't want to do it. But that that's what sucks, right? Like, it's the first or second best starting pitching rotation on Friday and Saturday in the country. And it's like, ah, oh, they might host a regional. So, yeah. Every single weekend over the last four weekends, like you said, they've needed the Sunday game to win or salvage the series. Like they have not put themselves ahead of the eight ball against a quality SEC opponent yet. Nope. Nope. Um, so, yeah. And, and you just, you hope that comes this weekend. Cause I think I, I'll be honest with you here now. Um, and, and look, I, I'm, picked Ole Miss to win every series that they lost. And so I, I sound a little stupid saying this. But this pitching backwards thing that uh, Arkansas is doing – or not uh, Arkansas, South Carolina – that South Carolina is doing, it's a good way to get your ass kicked if you don't show up. Because Gunner shoves it on Friday, and then your Ole Miss is better on Saturday. And, and, you know, look, I know you're probably better on Sunday on the mound, South Carolina, but it's a different deal, man, if you're down 0-2 and, uh, you know, just trying to avoid a sweep. I mean, it's – look, you know, everybody talks about Ole Miss's comeback. Yeah, but the first seven innings happened, too, where they're down nine to one. Um, so, it's a good way to get your teeth beat in if, if it doesn't work out the way you want it to. I, and, you know, I, I found this interesting, too, and Mike won't do this. Dave Van Horn last, last weekend matched up to it. He held his ace for game three um, and threw his number three in game one, his number two in game two, and he matched up exactly to it. And and they were able to win two or three. Mike won't do that, but I did find that interesting that Van Horn did. Uh, yeah, I I agree. Mike's not going to do that well because he's man, he's he's pretty rigid and whatever. He's he's had a lot of success. He's had some failures. Not going into that conversation today, but I agree with that. But like you mentioned, though, like is there ever a time like a more important time for this old Miss team to actually put it together and take advantage when they have the advantage than this weekend when you're facing a team that pitches backwards? And, you know, they're basically – not basically banking on it, but, like, you know, I bet if you're South Carolina – I forget who's the cat at South Carolina now? I know they fired the guy. Uh, Kingston. Kingston. Like, if you're Kingston, like, again, he's not betting on it, but, like, he's probably looking at the way this series plays out. It's like this team's pissed down their leg in one of the two games that they've had the advantage on the mound pretty much every time they've been out yep. outside of Alabama and Auburn. He's probably feeling pretty good about it happening again. And so is there a more important time – for Ole Miss to play its two cleanest baseball games of the year and then just see what you can do on Sunday. Like, the best version of this team is playing well for the first two games, and they need to finally do that. Yeah. Um, you know, so 
absolutely couldn't agree more. And, and I will say that, you know, if you had two series that you had to win um, outside of the Alabama-Auburn, um, you know, uh, set up, that these are the two teams that I think you match up with the best because neither one of them in South Carolina or A&M can hit. So, you know, if, if – look, if Ole Miss goes out and plays well and they've not done that – and I'll say this, I don't think they played badly at Florida. I think they played okay at Florida. Uh, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and LSU, I, I don't. If they will go play like they did against Florida, though, they'll win two of these games. Um, so, you know, just just show up, do your job, uh, make routine plays, and, and I don't really have much doubt that Ole Miss is going to win two. The issue is I haven't seen them do that the past three weeks. Yeah, at a certain point, you got to see it to believe it. And looking yeah. at South Carolina offensively for a second, we talked about their home run total. It's really two dudes. Uh, yeah, Wes Clark. And Wes Clark, who's at – Wes Clark has Wes 15 home runs. Brady Allen has 11. What's kind of hilarious to look at their statistics-wise, Wes Clark has 15 home runs and he only has 35 RBI. And Allen has 11 with 33 driven in. Like, this team relies heavily on the long ball because they don't have a whole lot of teeth at it. I mean, again, I always say this. I not Again, I don't believe in batting averages being an all-telling statistic, but I think it's a general indicator. Uh, Allen's the only kid in the lineup that hits 300. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about how many combined home runs did they have? 50. No, 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 no. Allen and Clark. Oh, yeah, so 56 is a team, and then Allen and Clark have 26 of them. So 10 of those come in SEC play. Um, and Clark only has three. Yes, how, how many does Clark have overall, 15? 15. So 12 in non-conference play. Um, yeah, he – Clark has really, really struggled in SEC play, and I haven't gone and watched film or anything. I'm not that insane. Uh, but I, I would venture to say he probably struggles a little bit with velocity just from, you know, his, his you know, overall hitting pretty well but not hitting in SEC play. That typically tends you to you struggle with velocity. Um, so, you know, I, I, think, I think the reality is South Carolina is not a really good hitting team at all in Ole Miss. You know, Gunner and, and Doug being really high strikeout guys is good in one way, and that you know you don't have to make a whole bunch of defensive plays, but it also leaves you open to only being able to pitch six innings too. Um, so, I, I, look if if Taylor Broadway, Doug Nikhazy, and Gunner Hoagland are good this weekend, I think Ole Miss will win this series with relative ease. But you know, uh, it's not always been the case, and and you know when those guys do pitch and they put it in place plays on that haven't always been made so I keep I feel like I'm talking in circles here but I mean it's it's really simple to me does, does Ole Miss fill the baseball routinely um and do they throw strikes because if they'll do those two things I I, I don't have much doubt that they'll win the series this weekend open-ended question here how does Derek Diamond put his fingerprint on this series Good question uh I don't know I, I don't know the answer because um do you trust – because, right, I mean, let's think about this. If, you know, let's say Gunner throws six and Ole Miss is up three to one. They're, I don't think they use him in that situation. I think they either go to Broadway right there or they use Doherty or Burtner to try to get it to him. Um, I, I think he's the guy that they try to, you know, have if Drew McDaniel struggles. But I don't anticipate right now uh, them using him as a bridge guy or as a high leverage bullpen option. I think they're going to try to use him maybe in a situation where he can go two to three innings if, if McDaniel struggles or if Nikhazy has to come out, uh, you know, after five innings because his pitch count's higher. Same with, same thing with Hoagland. 
Um, so I don't think he's going to be a guy that they use as a setup guy in the seventh or eighth inning. I think he's the guy that if they have to put someone in there in the fourth or the fifth, um, I do think it's possible. Now I will say this. Um, I don't know this. Um, I do think it's possible on Friday Gunner is on a pretty low pitch count, so they could piggyback him some. Um, I'm not sure. We'll see. Uh, I hope Gunner's not on a pitch count. That means he's fine. But I, I do think there is a possibility of him being on a, a, you know, modified pitch count. So you hit on – well, I like the second one you hit, but you hit on one of the scenarios that I was going for. The first one – or I was going to throw at you. The first one I'll hurl your way is that he puts up two zeros in one of the first two games. Holy shit. I'm sorry. Bryce Harper just got hit in the face with a fastball. My bad. Oh, no worries. There's, like, hail and tornadoes here. So, for, like, a hot second, I was like, shit, do you see something I see? Then I remember you're in uh, Mississippi and I'm in Texas. Um, <laughs> podcasting during a tornado and a hailstorm, not to brag. Uh, <laughs> so the first scenario I was going to throw at you was that Diamond pitches two crucial innings of relief in one of the first two games to where Gunner and Doug had a good outing. They battled in the games either tied or Ole Miss is down one or something, and then the Rebels I – mean, maybe they don't actually get it, but it puts them in position to either kind of overtake the lead late or come from behind by a run or so late. And you kind of look back and think those were two really important zeros where the bullpen has not really had any sort of guarantee outside of Broadway to that point. And the second one it was the one you hit on. Uh, you know, if they Ole Miss, things go well in the first – I think – Things would have to go very well for Ole Miss in the first two games to not have to pitch Diamond. And so if that's the case, uh, McDaniel sucks early in the third game and then uh, Diamond keeps them in the game with, like, I don't know, like four and a third scoreless relief on Sunday in relief of McDaniel. Those are the two most likely. But those are just guesses. I mean, hell, with the way this team and this bullpen's constructed and the way they're performing right now, who the hell knows is going to pitch? I was just giving you a guess. Sure. Uh, you know, it's good one because uh, who really knows? I, I – I think look, Derry Diamond's gonna factor in this weekend somewhere. It's just where where can they use him and that he's the most effective. So um I'm interested to see what Mike does with Broadway. Does he try to bring him in in the seventh again where he throws three innings? I don't know. I, I hope he doesn't stray away from that just because it didn't work one time. But I've seen Mike Vieco abandon things that don't work one time and it, you never see it again. That's where he um, screws himself up. That's a great point because that's where he screws himself up because he starts getting in his own head and managing kind of based off of how tight he's feeling and how tight the game is. I doubt he would ever admit that, but shit, man, it's absolutely true. There's no yeah. reason if Ole Miss is up five to three, in the seventh inning, and Hoagland or whoever's on the mound, whichever game it is, he runs out of gas. There's no reason you shouldn't go straight back to Broadway just because it didn't work out on a Thursday night against LSU. But if Mike does that, that's indicative of him kind of being in his own head, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I mean, that's completely what it is. Um, so, is you hope that's your not – best path to a – best path – I can't talk. Best, best path to a victory if you're this team right now, despite it not working last week. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it is. So you just hope that he doesn't make that, you know, doesn't, you know, have to do it again or doesn't, you know, uh, I, I've said that wrong. I, you just hope that he doesn't shy away from it this time because of, you know, it not working last time. And even though, you know, Broadway throws three innings, but he's able to come back on Saturday and throw the, you know, crucial inning on, on Saturday to get you to the bottom of the ninth with a game tied. So it's not like you burned it bringing, in, bringing him in for the seventh. Um, so you just hope that that doesn't happen. I mean, the hope, obviously, is that Gunner goes seven and you can hand the ball straight to him. He throws two innings and you win the game four to two or whatever. Um, so it is kind of. You know, there's a lot of different scenarios where you can't really envision. 
I do think that there's a possibility Gunner's on the pitch count. So how do you bridge it to Broadway if Gunner can only go four, Gunner can only go five or whatever? Um, so we'll see. Just, just you know, we'll have to see how it plays out because, I mean, there's no way to predict this right now, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, I think Mike will give Broadway another chance to have a, an extended outing. But like I said, I've seen situations where something doesn't work one time and you'll never see it again. And just a little inside baseball here. Colin and I are actually recording this part of the podcast on a Wednesday night because of what I have ahead of me on the weekend, which I'll actually get to in a second. I have some complaints. Brian's pissed. Yeah, no, nah, yeah, we'll, we'll go mildly irked. Uh, I, I, depending. When on did how, you find out about this? Oh, I knew this was happening. I knew this was happening for a month and a half. I knew the Friday night piece of it, which is a terrible podcast tease for probably two to three weeks. And then it all just kind of turned out to uh, really just not work out great. Well, we'll tease. I'll get to that in just a second. Um, okay. What I'm getting at is let's make our picks. If that. Okay. No, no, actually, I have one last question for you that I wrote down. Does Ole Miss start its normal rotation in order because of the Hoagland thing? Gut feeling. Yes. Yeah, they do. Um, I, I think I think the three pitchers are Gunnar Hoagland, uh, Doug Nikhazy, and Drew McDaniel. You could convince me there is a possibility Doug Nikhazy goes on Friday and Hoagland goes on Saturday. But if I'm betting, I think that – I'm debating on how to say this. I'm pretty confident that Gunnar Hoagland's going to start on Friday night. Uh, well, I'm, let me rephrase. I'm pretty confident Gunnar Hoagland is going to start on Friday or Saturday night for Ole Miss this weekend. Um, he threw a bullpen on Tuesday. It went well. Um, I don't know how he felt on Wednesday, but I, I do know the bullpen went really well on Tuesday. So, you know, you just hope that, uh, hope that everything's back to normal there. But I, I'm confident that those are the three. And if I had to bet, I would figure they go back to the same rotation. I think I agree with you in that sense. And one last encompassing thought, not even necessarily related to Hoagland. We talked about this team maybe trying to press a reset button or this team trying to kind of take a deep breath. Okay, you're 10 and 8. This guy feels like it's falling, but you're still in decent position. I've covered a couple of teams. I say I've covered a couple of teams. Every team has the whole, like, we don't have a midweek game during finals week. And a lot of times that allows a lot of guys to freshen up, even though it's a short week with the Thursday-Saturday deal. Uh, I guess that's the week before. No, week after, because that's usually for the SEC tournament. I, I think there's something to the fact that Ole Miss didn't play this week and they had a couple of days to get off their feet or kind of get away from game action and kind of reset. What do you think yeah. about that? No, I was going to actually mention that. It, it lets you just get away and chill out because that, from what I what I think I've read, they, they took Friday – or, excuse me, they took Sunday and Monday off um, and came back and practiced, I know, I'm pretty sure, on Tuesday. Also – also, you know who swung a bat on Tuesday? Tim Elko? Tim Elko swung a bat on Tuesday. Just putting that out there in the world. Uh, hit off live pitching, if I'm not mistaken. So, pretty big deal. Um, that is but, a big deal. And Ole Miss has a meet availability Thursday, as I mentioned. We're recording this on a Wednesday night. And that's a good point by you. I didn't even think about it. They had this short weekend where they go Thursday to Saturday and no midweek game. So, that's a lot of time off, which I think can help instead of hurt in this situation. Oh, absolutely. So, you know. Um, but you know, you get away for two days, you get to just kind of catch your breath. I think it's a very, I think it's a very big deal. Um, so they have finals this week. They've been on the practice field, I think Tuesday and Wednesday, and they'll, they'll be out there again tomorrow. So we'll see. Uh, but I, I, I think you're right. I think being able to just kind of catch your breath and relax and, and frankly, just turning everything attention wise to baseball after this weekend, because you're out of school, 
which is a little bit irregular, right? Because usually you're in school for two more weeks. But uh, with COVID this year, Ole Miss has altered their schedule a little bit. So you're going to get a full month, month and a half, hopefully, if you're an Ole Miss fan of, of baseball and, and no school. And I think the kids enjoy this time of year. So, yeah, we'll, uh, you'll get to see. But I, I, think that, uh, I think that you're right. Being able to just chill out and get away and have the stress of school be gone can certainly be good for this team. That's a great point, and I had not even thought about that. Actually, didn't even know that. I'll just go hand up. I didn't know Ole Miss had finished early. They're done with school. This this was finals week, yeah. So that absolute okay, that actually makes sense to why there's no midweek. Whoa, my brain just got actually put back into one piece. That makes way more sense. I was like, why the hell did they not have a midweek this week? That <laughs> makes way more sense. You're exactly right, though. And you talk to anyone. I mean, Greg Kessinger said that a couple of times. Dillard said it a couple of times. Ask any kid on any team. They like those co- kids love playing college baseball when there's no school. Now, most of the time, it's a little hotter. It's late May, and you're getting into the games that really, really matter. And not that these games don't matter. Basically, what I'm trying to say is you're in the postseason, essentially, by the time that happens. Yeah. Like one weekend, then SEC tournament, which is technically postseason, the actual postseason. They call that the greatest time of year because it's all baseball all the time. You're together all the time. You're not having to go to class. All your routine is, is baseball. I think that makes a difference, too which uh, I would actually argue as well uh, makes this weekend even more important because you really don't need any more bad juju when all you have to think about is baseball. So they probably – Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's a great point. I had not even thought about that. Now that makes sense that they didn't have – So we need to to talk about the uh, the thing Kendall tweeted. Yes, we do, because there's so many topics that I keep saying we're going to get to and we (laughs) don't ever do it. So Kendall Rogers tweets on Wednesday night, which is when we are recording this, uh, because I have to go to every wedding that's ever existed. Um, that sounded like a humble brag. That's not at all. I'm just pissed off. Anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Sources tell D1 Baseball that NCAA Selection Committee will now announce 20 possible regional host sites the week of May 10, which is originally, like, if you're following along with the saga, May 10 was originally when they were going to announce the eight national seeds and the 16 no, 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 no. sixteen host sites, excuse me, yeah. and then determine national seeds later. Now yep. they're just announcing 20 possible one, and they will now dwindle that number to 16 the night before selection Monday. This allows more teams to compete for the host sites. So if you're sitting yeah. there in your car or, you know, on the beach or on the toilet, shout out to you if you're listening to this on the John, and you're like, I'm confused. I've stopped keeping up with this. This is the same thing that they do every year, but the NCAA just put their message out terribly that they wanted more time to put COVID protocols at this point. And I'm not, I'm not going COVID denier here or anything. Whatever, I'm just saying whatever that means, COVID protocols at this point in the pandemic at their host sites, to essentially it seems like cover their own ass. But in terms of this selection process actually being any different – than the way it is in years past, now that we know this nugget of information, it's barely any different because at this point, you don't have very many more host sites in the game at this point anyway. At that point yeah. of the year on May 10th, we talked about this before we started recording. Even in a crazy year, you may have 24 host sites for 16 spots, 25 in the mix. But the most time you're doing it down to 20-ish anyway. This is no different than most normal years. They've just, of course, like anything else, made it as complicated as possible, all in the sake of saying, we'd like to get some more Lysol in these stadiums beforehand. Thoughts? <laughs> I, I stand by my theory that uh, some people in Hoover and Durham and Oklahoma City called and said, hey, uh, 
y'all got to fix this because we're not having our tournaments mean nothing. Um, so now you look at it and you, you thought, you thought, you know, five hours ago that they're naming the 16 host sites. Well, now they're naming 20. Um, so this means that the rest of the regular season is, is relevant, right? Because now if you're the 15 seed and you go on, you know, some run, well, excuse me, if you're the 15 seed, but you go, you know, three and nine to finish, well, you're no longer a host. They've got somebody to replace you with, which is frankly, look, um, if they have to do this to to announce the three three weeks prior, which I don't understand, but that's another story for another day. Um, then this is the way to do it. But you should have you should have said this when it came out that you were going to do it this way, which is why I think they did not originally intend to do it this way. They just caught a whole bunch of crap uh, from people saying, "Hey, the, this makes the rest of the regular season irrelevant um, to a lot of teams," and and they realized, "Oh, we need to do something different." And now they've added four teams, which is smart. Uh, I would have argued that they probably should have added, again, four more, uh, make it 24. But uh, 20 is fine. And I think if you're an Ole Miss fan, this gives you a whole lot of confidence that in two weeks, unless Ole Miss just plays really poorly the next two weeks, which at that point they don't deserve to host. Uh, but if, if Ole Miss does what they're supposed to do and goes four and two, or even really three and three, but two of them are this weekend, um, that you'll have your name called and, and still have an opportunity over the next three weeks against Vanderbilt, Georgia, and then the SEC tournament to, to put a regional in Oxford. I would agree with that. And what's going to be funny in like two more weeks, Kendall's going to have a tweet that says, in addition to the 20 possible host sites, they're actually going to have three alternate host sites in case one of those host sites can't host because of COVID. And then we're going to announce it the Monday after the conference tournaments. What if we called it Selection Monday? <laughs> I mean, this is literally just going closer and closer to the normal thing. There's not a whole lot of difference here. I get what they're trying to do, uh, all snark and sarcasm aside. I get them wanting to kind of have a better handle on, you know, who might get a host site and making sure protocols, the 50% thing, whatever you may think of it, is in place. I actually get them wanting more time. But, man, they could have made this way less complicated on the front end by saying it the way I said it with less swear words. I mean, they yeah. made it as complicated as possible. Well, which is why I don't think this was their original intent. I think they caught some crap over the rest of the regular season being irrelevant. So you, I don't necessarily disagree. I would call that a halfway tinfoil hat thing because I think there's something to that. Because, I mean, if you're Greg Sankey, because you know, the SEC tournament matters to Greg Sankey. And whoever the hell the Big 12 commissioner is, I can't remember that guy's name. Like, that totally matters to him. Same with the guy that runs the ACC now. You get where I'm going with this. Like, they're probably like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what are we even playing this shit for? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I'm glad they're doing it. I think that really helps out Ole Miss. It makes it where you don't have to be perfect the next two weekends. You need to win the series. Um, but, you know, it, it, it goes from right where if you're an Ole Miss fan today, I don't – I'm not 100% confident that if they were making selections today, Ole Miss would have their name called uh, with 16. I think they would. I would not be 100% confident. Now I would be 100% confident that if, if Ole Miss – if they were picking regional sites, possible regional sites today, uh, that Ole Miss would be one. Yeah, it's basically keeping the next four – I mean, the first four out in the mix if you want a basketball reference. Sure, sure. So – Anyway, yeah, I don't know. Interesting note. I just find the the whole messaging of this. Maybe you're right. Maybe that wasn't their original intent. But I just – I'm not saying I disagree with the whole that wasn't their original intent thing. 
But man, with the way the message was originally botched to where it was like, it's going to be predetermined. And then like 10 minutes or an hour later, it's like, oh, by the way, it'll also be based off merit. It's like, okay, what are you really doing here? Like, no, that's why I don't, I don't think this was their original intent. I, I, I just, I have a hard time believing that they haven't changed their mind or thought of this in the past two weeks. I just, if it was, why did this not come out before? Could it go back to my theory that, again, not a knock on Kindle and D1, but if only one, one outlet is covering this story, you're only getting bits and pieces of the actual story because sometimes it takes, you know, a whole host of national media to kind of get what the actual story is. Sure. Remember but that? My thing that is, back? why would you not give that part to Kendall and them? Why, why would that not be the part you gave, you know, Kendall and them were able to get, they were going to do this. So how, why would you not give them that part? Because I don't know who he's talking to. And he's talking to the NCAA. You think directly? You think he's talking to somebody? I think, yeah. I mean, I can be wrong, but yeah. I mean, he look, I mean, again, I could be wrong, but yes, I, I do think he has someone involved. And frankly, I mean, we, we, we've admitted this. They know what they're talking about when they put out host sites and stuff uh, with their brackets the night before the tournament. So, yeah, I think he talks to somebody in the NCAA. Okay, I, I agree with the first part and the second part. And the only thing I'll correct you on is, they don't know what they're talking about. They know what to put. They know what does. No, that's what I'm saying. They have the freaking bracket for the most part. <laughs> hey, look, good on them. I'm not, I'm not – this sounds like I'm like – No. Anyone. I love Kendall and Aaron. They do great work. They do great for the sport. But the host thing is always funny to me because when they put Ole Miss – you know, remember they had Ole Miss as like the 13th national seed in 2019 after I'm sitting up there in the press box in Hoover where Kendall is too. And I'm like, I don't think Ole Miss did quite enough to host, but this shouldn't diminish the run they had in the SEC tournament this week. Then Kendall puts out that Ole Miss is the 13th national season. It's like, never mind. They end up as the 12th. Like, that's no happy accident. They know it. And credit to them for getting good information. I, I, that, that, that was always cracked me up because after they lost to Vanderbilt, I think it was Chase put on his message board. It's like, because, you know, they announced host on Sunday night uh, after the game and Chase puts on his message board. It's like, yeah, sources are telling me that Ole Miss is going to come. I'm like, how the hell do you have a source on the selection committee? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, you're probably right. They probably are talking to someone to it. I just think you could get a more complete view of the story. If we had another media outlet that they were competing against getting information from maybe someone else in the room, I guess if that makes Hey, sense. look, maybe they, they changed their mind on, uh, you know, announcing 20 host sites. Maybe they'll change their mind on, on attendance i'm kidding they're not changing their mind on that no they're not but as kendall Someone made a really good point on attendance by the way um are we sure that like it's plenty fine to put 100 percent capacity in Ole Miss's in state stadium are we sure it's plenty fine to put 50 percent in los angeles stadium if ucla were to sneak up get a host like this blanket rule makes no sense I think the 50% would be a match. I think if it was somewhere like Los Angeles, I don't think local government would allow them to do 50. Okay, fair enough. I don't know what the Dodgers are doing, but I think that, you know, the Braves announced they're going to 100, like, next week. I saw that. I mean, my the team in my backyard that I could literally see out my window is has been at 100 from day one. And, you know, knock on wood, whatever you think about that politically, the numbers in terms of COVID-wise have actually been very good here and continue to go down in the same as Mississippi. Uh, you talk about guys that know what they're talking about, though. Kendall's not repeatedly saying on Twitter, wink, wink, schools are going to get creative with this by accident and just guess. No. Like, no. I think there's a little bit of a, hey, we have to say this. Not not Kendall, I'm talking the NCAA. We have to say this, but like do this. Like, wink, wink type of thing. Like, he's not saying that by well, accident. Well, 
you let me ask you this. I've said this to some friends and then they kind of agreed with me. You think that let's just say Ole Miss and Indiana are playing a winner's bracket game on a Saturday night, 6.30 p.m., and they're selling standing room tickets at that box office. You think Keith Carter's going to tell some people, yeah, you know what, we, we're at our 50%. You got to go home, bud. The NCAA's not going to want him to tell him that. You tell me they want less money? Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're. I would just say if you don't get your regular tickets, if you're an Ole Miss fan, just, just go to the box office and see if they're selling some tickets. Yeah, exactly. they'll, they'll, they'll probably let you in. That was also I never believed, you know, when that first the talk about that first news coming out where it was like it's gonna be predetermined and you had people immediately be like, they're just gonna do this to screw the Mississippi schools because they hate our politics. I'm like, you know what the NCAA loves more than politics? Money. And you think they're gonna screw the 10, twelve thousand seat stadiums in this seat in this uh state? I doubt it. So anyway. Um I, I think Ole Miss will I think their largest attendance ever is like 12,600 or so. I think Ole Miss will get, be able to expand their capacity per se to maybe like 14 and get like seven in legally. I, I'm just going to put a blanket statement to end this conversation. I, I don't, I am not worried about any sort of postseason attendance should Ole Miss host anything. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to They're, They're going to have 10,000 in that stadium. Just, All right, let's, uh, let's get to our picks before we, uh, okay. before we get out of here for the day. I've just given up on counting. People don't care anyway, um, but we're just going to do it every week because I think people like it in the newsletter beforehand. They're not actually going to check us after the fact. So we're undefeated. Congrats on not losing anything yet. Um, <laughs> why don't, why don't, I'll tell you what, why don't we just figure it up from now on? Because, uh, you know, like it, it's the stretch run. So we can just say it was a practice run before that. That's a great point. We needed to uh, practice this out, which is, is indicative of the copious amount of hours we put into preparation before we hop on a mic every time. So I, I like that idea. All right, we got two Thursday Saturdays. We got uh, Auburn is traveling to Georgia. Uh, I just can't pick Auburn anything. I'll go Georgia kind of slogs its way to two. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that too. You know, whatever. I don't know. There's not a not a whole lot doing for me there. I I I, I will not be flipping that one on. I'm gonna surprise you with the next one. Uh, okay, Ten- Tennessee, Kentucky. Uh, so I guess you kind of gave away where you're going there. Uh, could, you know, our Alabama took, did prelip pitch last weekend. What was the deal? He did, he, he, he did not pitch last weekend. Okay. So he, that, that's an interesting storyline to follow. Alabama missed opportunity there. Uh, I say that to say Kentucky took two of three from a kind they of a, a plucky Alabama team. They go to Knoxville this weekend. It sounds like you're predicting Kentucky too. I am. I'm going to take Kentucky Wednesday. I think Kentucky's okay. Okay. I'll go Tennessee too. I still think they're really good. Um, you know, the, the sign of a tough team, uh, talk about uh, Tennessee-wise, they lose one of the first two games. They're down in the third game, and then they just Beat stop the hell out of 11 them. runs over the final three innings. I know A&M's not any good, but you got to have pretty strong mental fortitude to kind of reel that off and be like, you know what, we're but not missing an opportunity. Did you see what Tennessee did on Tuesday night? I did not. What they did? They lost 4-1 to one to a 13-20 and 20 Lipscomb team. Oh, uh, that, uh, that has North Alabama re- revenge game written all over it. Only the benefit Tennessee has is they can brand that as an in-state robbery. That's a good point. It's a good point. Because <laughs> the lips was in Nashville. Uh, Al, could I interest you in a Vandy, Florida in Gainesville? Yeah, Vandy wins too. I think so too, but I think Florida's starting to pitch the ball better and play better baseball. So I'll be the contrarian and say Florida too. How about that? Yeah, it's. I mean, I would be shocked. I, I just. I'm I have, getting to lighter. That's probably the actual talking point yeah. in the next series. That was interesting. Low, low key, lighter been a little hittable lately. 
how much of that you coach baseball how much of that is them getting a little bit further into the year not that he's i'm not suggesting that his arms wearing and tearing but like i i just feel like at a natural point you know when you have that many miles on you as you get later into a season they're just naturally not going to be as sharp as february i don't necessarily think it's i i think the fact that he had all that success look he's really good he's gonna be the number one pick in the draft but Look, he, he had three weeks where he was unreal, but he also played South Carolina, who we've talked about, can't hit, Missouri, who sucks, and LSU, who can't hit. So, you know, I I, I think, look, he's really good. I, You're you just being more that the SEC is really good. Yeah, I, I just, you know, he's not going to be unhittable. I mean, Casey Miles went first overall, and I saw him get assaulted in Oxford. Um, so, you know, you're not going to be unhittable all year. Uh, that being said, I do think he has a good weekend against Florida this weekend. And uh, maybe – maybe I need him to have two good weekends in a row, so that way when he gets to Oxford, maybe some regression can happen. LSU is hosting Arkansas. I don't necessarily – like, nothing about LSU overly impressed me. I'll put it that way last weekend. No. But they had two guys that did pitch the ball pretty well, and maybe that was some of Ole Miss's doing. And they played much cleaner baseball, particularly for those first two games. I think it was – yes, Ole Miss played bad, but I think LSU also played better than they have been. Again, admittedly not having watched LSU religiously. Um, but, look, man, if you're going to actually turn your season around and try to make a run at this team, take yeah. two or three Arkansas is a place to do it. I know, great place to start. LSU, and, and before you make your pick, very big deal here. The Tigers are going to full capacity this weekend, so the box will be rocking. I uh, I uh, I did see that. That's really interesting. I'm probably still going Arkansas too. I'm gonna go LSU wins two games. There and, and and if if they don't, I'll never pick them to win a series again. But there's just a part of me that can't quit LSU, and it's just because they wear LSU on their chest, and I think they figure it out and make the postseason but they also can't make the postseason if they don't win this series. I'm going to say they win two. And, and I'm fully admitting that that is stupid and is probably going to be wrong. And picking against the team that has won like 12 SEC series, SEC series in a row is really dumb. But Arkansas never wins in Baton Rouge. And I think LSU just has another weekend where they play well and is able to, to kind of get off the snot. We'll see. I don't, I don't hate that at all. And I think maybe part of what you're getting at too. And, yes, it, 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 it went – it's easier to do what I'm about to say when you hit a, a, a two-run home run or three-run home run, whatever it was, on Thursday off of Taylor Broadway to kind of propel yourself to win. But LSU throughout the weekend looked a hell of a lot more interested in, in uh, kind of preserving their season than I thought they might. Sure, sure. They absolutely did. I mean, you know, you talk about sat or Saturday with them, it's, look, they just ran out of arms. They couldn't get Ole Miss out. So, um, I don't really think it's an indictment on them on Saturday or anything. Look, I, I – Look, I'm not going to be shocked, and frankly, I, I kind of think I'm probably going to be wrong. But just part of part of me that can't quite quit LSU until they're literally in the ground and dead. Alabama hosts Missouri. The Tide needs three. I think they get two. Yeah. Oof. I need to know what Prelip's doing. Um, I'm going to go Alabama three. Just and I don't feel good about it, but I don't like picking Missouri to do anything. So, Prelip, for those of, I guess, if not regularly listening, so Alabama's first-round pick, uh, he pitched opening day, did not pitch for basically two months after that, returned against Auburn, and then did not pitch last weekend. I'm assuming it's the same mystery injury? I guess, and he only pitched an inning against Auburn, which concerns me, too. Yeah, it'd almost be awesome if colleges were transparent about injuries, but be that as it may. Um, 
Oh, I have a great random note before we get to this finale one. Uh, I put in the newsletter on Monday. I just plucked some stats from the Grove Bowl, and I gave a shout-out to Ole Miss Media Relations uh, for just charting stats in a Grove Bowl because in a controlled scrimmage, it's probably not the easiest to collect stats. Yes. But I worded it as, shout-out to Kyle Campbell and the Ole Miss Media Relations team, parentheses. Actually, if Kyle reads this, I met Brad Sheffield, and Brad sent me a screenshot of that tonight and said, nice. <laughs> that is nice. Glad to see they're still giving Kyle Campbell shit on the reg. Um, Ole Miss, South Carolina. We never made our pick there. Uh, crap. Ole Miss, too. And I'm going to hate myself for doing it. I'll go. You know what? I'll try to reverse Juju it because I don't think we picked Ole Miss to lose a series so far. And there you go. With good reason. South Carolina, too. Prove it to there me, Ole Miss. <laughs> there we go. Maybe that'll fix it. Gamecocks, too. Uh, let's see. State host Texas A&M. I think State, too. Yeah, State, State two. Won't be, yeah, won't be shocked with a sweep there. I think A&M gets a game, but, yeah, if State swept, and they're playing pretty good baseball outside of a couple of minor – you know, they were pretty damn close to pulling that shit off in Nashville. I got to give them credit yeah. on that. Yeah, they were up in the sixth, I think, on Sunday, and then, you know, just kind of fell apart in the bullpen. But, yeah, I mean, look, State's playing really well. Um, so – Hopefully AM can show up and storm or at least win a game. But yeah, I, I I could see three for sure there. Absolutely. Last thing before I let you get out of here, uh, because we just made our picks. That's the end of the baseball talk. I said on yesterday I did a grill corner with Greg for Wednesday's podcast. And I was gonna do a solo off the top about uh Ole Miss firing Randy Clements. Uh, but I didn't because one, I didn't have time, and two, I was like, I'll just save it for when I have someone to bounce the idea off of. Uh, I think this is a classic funny gauge of Ole Miss fans' psyche, um, and even not even <laughs> Ole Miss fans, people that covered the team, because, uh, like, this news came out, and Antonio Morales, who used to cover Ole Miss and now covers USC for the Athletic, just texted me and was like, what happened? Like, just assuming something happened. It's kind of funny to me. Everyone's mind goes to scandal, but as more and more – again, I'm not a reporter anymore. I'm just some asshole with a newsletter. Um, but everyone who's paid to cover this story for a living has just said it's pretty much strictly football-related. But, man, the time yeah. – and someone made a good point to me when I asked. It's like, yeah, it's not, you know, it's weird that you fire your coach in April, and it is, but you've not been able to recruit, so it's a little less weird now than it usually is. I guess it was just kind of a, a disagree. I'm just guessing here, but it seems like a little bit of a disagreement and maybe kind of butting heads between he and Kiffin because the one thing I do know from covering that program still when all these dudes were hired is that uh, what's-his-face, Clements, I'd say what's-his-face, the guy we're talking about, uh, was much closer to Jeff Levy than he was with Lane Kiffin when he was added to the staff. So I just wonder how that dynamic played into it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. Um, so, I don't know. It's, it was weird. I, did, I didn't see it coming. But, you know, it was with everybody else. And then, you know, it happened. And everybody thinks that, you know, scandal or whatever. But like you said, it, it appears that's not the case. It's just kind of, kind of a football perspective thing. So, uh, I guess that that's something to be thankful for. Sure, Lane Kiffin's a different cat if you hadn't figured it out by now. And yeah. I guess he just kind of assessed things at spring. And clearly to me, and again, just a complete wild guess, you're not making this move in April something unless you have a replacement plan that you're pretty close to pulling the trigger on. Yeah, and they do. So, um, we'll see. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I struggle to really, like, get involved with – uh, you know, assistant coaching changes. It's just like, man, they, it's just kind of a revolving door. It is what it is. Yeah, it's offensive line coach. But I just, like, on my mind, I'm not, I'm not like, 
throwing stones at anyone else. I texted you when it happened. I was like, well, something has to be up. And you're like, no, it doesn't sound like it is. I was like, well, that makes no sense. Like if we check the pause <laughs> parlor, like what, something has to be up here. It's like nothing can just happen at Ole Miss. That's not how this works. Which is the greatest part about it to me is like, just given this uh, football programs, like, you know, the last decade of their history, like it has to be something like, so just go ahead and give it to me. And then the fact that it's nothing is more shocking than it uh, being something. It is a good point. It is more shocking than it was nothing. Exactly. So that's our show. I appreciate everyone tuning in. Everyone have a safe and happy mailback Friday. Appreciate you doing it as always, dude. And we'll be back at it on Sunday. Sounds good. Everybody have a safe and happy weekend. We'll holler at you soon. Hey, what are you?